When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Menes, and I'm joined in studio by Gav Joshi. Gav, welcome to the Piccolo Podcast Studio for the, the first ever time. How are you? I'm going to start off with I can't let it go. How good this studio is. <laughs> Seriously, those people we've had, you know, have sort of we've got them on the phone and so forth. Please come and see this studio. It is so good. It will feel like... ABC, BBC, I've done, uh, done a few podcasts in there. I think this is right up there. So I've already let my can't let it go. How good this pod, uh, how good this studio is. Uh, great to have you in, Gavin. <laughs> and we've got a lot to talk about in, in this episode. We're going to go through all the cricket headlines, wrap up all the news from the last week, and then we're going to finish with can't let it go. But the big news, let's start with the biggest headline of the day. There's a few Australian cricketers that are a lot richer this morning. Overnight, we had the IPL auction and it was a record-breaking night for the Aussies. So we'll start with the two big boys. First off, Pat Cummins broke the record for the highest ever IPL price of 20.5 crore, which is about 3.66 million Australian dollars. And then about an hour later, Mitchell Stark broke his record and went for 24.75 crore, $4.42 million. Cummins went to Sunrise's Hyderabad and Mitchell Stark went to the Calcutta Knight Riders. Do, do those prices surprise you? I mean, they're whopping numbers. Uh, maybe for Pat Cummins it does. I always thought Mitch Stark is going to get the highest bid from anybody. Death bowlers um, are, are rare. You, you see a lot of players who, who want to do that responsibility, but to succeed. If I told you, Menas, or anybody out there, 10 runs to get and, um, you, you know, you've got one set batter probably on one side, who's the death bowler you want to be bowling? And your first instinct is Jasper Brummer. And the second one is Mitch Stark. Yes, there are others. There's there's Rabatas. There's those death over specialists. You get like likes of you know those Tom Curran's kind of play. Even a Joffre Archer or um, even a Paddy Cummins to an extent. But 
those two are the most prized mm. bowlers you want a bowl in your hand because they get it wrong chances are they won't get it wrong if the, the batters you know played some great shot so not surprised at all i thought sometimes i wonder if mitchell stark is going for you know nearly five million dollars I think Boomerow is someone could go for $7 million. So I think those two, I'm not surprised at all. A little bit surprised for Paddy Cummins. I didn't think he'll get that much, but IPL is also about creating a brand. And I think just over the last sort of, um, you know, last month and what Pat Cummins has done, I think, you know, the franchise will see him as a bit of a brand that they can create a team around. And that's so important for sort of getting a few sponsors and so forth like that. So I think Pat Cummins probably increased his value due to that um, due to that fact. Yeah, I agree, especially on Pat Cummins. He's very marketable, yep. captain of the World Test Championship winning side, uh, World Cup winning captain, good-looking rooster, you know, great <laughs> great on posters, um, you know, great face of the club. Loved and, in India. Exactly. So uh, I can see why he went for a lot. And I think the club will be thinking, we can make a lot of this back in marketing. Yep. Whereas Stark, probably not the, the marketer's dream, a quieter, more reserved gentleman, but um, will be devastating on the field. They sort of showed his figures from when he played in the IPL about 10 years ago. Yep. And they were very good back then and he wasn't the bowler. He is now. Um, and, and it does also make you wonder, Gav, the amount of money Mitchell Stark has left on the table the last sort of eight years, eight to ten years, where he's concentrated on playing for Australia and getting some time with his family. I mean, yep. you know, you're looking now, he's probably left um, somewhere around $20 million on the table. Uh, absolutely. I think, I think somebody put a tweet out, I think if he plays every single IPL game, I think for per ball, he's getting some close to $15,000. Yeah, I think it's around $13,000 uh, 13, a ball. Yeah, so um, there you go. That, that's one part. But, yeah, a lot but of you money. Know, just, just on that figure, yeah. I think the figure per game is about 312 Australian, 312000 Australian dollars per game. And you, that really favours comparably to, you know, you look at those big footballers in the big leagues oh, yeah. around the world, the big soccer players. I mean, those numbers actually sit alongside them now, yeah. which is such a huge... Huge, um, it's a huge thing for cricket that the, the elite athletes can p- get paid that sort of money because it'll it will keep people in the sport. Yeah, absolutely. And just going uh, how much money he's left on the table, brother. But from what I've heard, Mitch Starks, he wants his last game of cricket to be test matches. I think that's how he sees it. And he said he wants to play 100 tests. He's got that stated ambition. Yes, so if, if that is the case. But right now it just coincides perfectly uh, in the fact that, you know, he probably hasn't played a lot of T20 cricket. Um, and importantly, there's a World Cup. And also, I don't know if you saw the news, he and Alyssa Healy bought a $25 million house <laughs> on the outskirts <laughs> yes, of Sydney. I so yep. I think this contract times perfectly with, you know, paying a bit of that off. <laughs> I don't know how much. Well, how much does uh, Alyssa Healy get from the WIPL? But... I don't know, but I think if you put their two salaries together, they'll be doing pretty well. Yeah, exactly. So, um, no, absolutely. So I think with the fact that the World Cup is there, I think the IPL finishes and teams will be straight off to the World Cup. That's going to help a lot. And I think stuck in... From what I've heard from people, you know, 10 years ago, he loved the tournament for the fact that doesn't really have to train much. Um, you just go and there's some really good golf courses that come up. So I'm sure he's going to enjoy that. Um, so, I, I look, I think he's always... Has to be not enjoyed on that money. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then other results for the Australians. Well, the big surprise, Spencer Johnson, the left arm quick, 
who plays mm. for the Brisbane Heat in the yep. um in the he plays for the Brisbane Heat in the BBL in South Australia in the yep. Sheffield Shield. He went for one point seven eight million Aussie dollars to Gujarat Titans. Again, brings the same sort of skill set that Stark does. Not obviously the bowler that Stark is, but yeah. very quick, swings the new ball, yep. gets wickets in the power play. And I think that's what IPL clubs prioritise because if you take wickets in the power play, that's how you win games. Yeah, and IPL team try to f- are getting there's so much depth around now. They all create they want to create depth. So someone like a Joshua Little who plays for Gujarat Lions, a left armer as well, probably doesn't have the pace. Of, but they all teams are looking for a left armer now. Mm. And you've got someone like a Little, but now you've got someone like a Spencer Johnson coming in as well. You know who's quick as well. He's had some experience in India playing those matches just recently. Um, he looks sharp as well. Um, so good exposure. So I. I'm surprised. Life-changing uh, money for him too. Oh, absolutely. When I'm you su- think about a Shield cricketer, you know, he'd be making some decent money, but this is yeah, astronomical I, compared I, to his state contract. I think so. I think from BBL and other contracts, you know, match payments, he's probably up to 200K. He's suddenly gone to 1.2. 1.8. Unbelievable. Uh, other results for Australia, Travis Head, 1.22 million. He went to Sunrisers Hyderabad, so he'll be with Pat Cummins. No surprises really after his World Cup final innings and his Test Championship final innings. I mean, one thing that does increase your IPL value is doing well against India. Yeah, it does. Uh, I, I'm i a little bit, yes, I, I expected him to go, but it's one of those hit and miss risk I think an IPL team has made because, yes, he's been fantastic, but just recent records when teams have just gone off somebody who's done well just at recent times, if you look at the history of the IPL, it hasn't really worked out for that player. Harry Brook, a good example from last year, you know, went for an enormous amount of money but had pretty poor IPL. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit surprised, uh, but look, Recent, based on recent international numbers, he, he could be the best batter across all formats. So why not pick him? Mm, so big money for him. Joe Richardson went for eight ninety two thousand dollars to the Delhi Capitals, and Ashton Turner went for one seventy eight thousand dollars. Bit of to, um, JL there, yeah, to Lucknow Super Giants, <laughs> where JL's the new coach. Glad to see Joe Richardson back um, mm. playing in the IPL. Great bowler, been injured for a while. Couple of surprise omissions though. Steve Smith went unsold, and I think that he's he's been seen to be declining in T20 cricket. Yep. His last – who did he play for in the IPL last time? Um, but he didn't end up getting a lot of game time for them. He spent a lot of time on yep. the sidelines. And this this IPL going unsold, what, what do you think that says about his T20 game? Yeah, I think so. I, you're probably looking at Steve Smith going to be at his best top of the order. But there's just so many other good batters out there. So And there's no role for that – you know, a guy who just works it into gaps anymore. Now, T20 cricket has evolved so much. Um, you know, in an Australian team, you probably saw him play that role. But, you know, time's moved on. You still need to bash balls and they don't see Steve Smith using that. You know, he's not someone who can come in the sixth over and score 40 of... Mm, he doesn't you know, have the power game. Yeah. So the best time for him to bat is probably up the top. But up the top, there's so many other options there. Yeah, definitely. And the other one, and this would have been quite awkward in the fast bowling cartel group. So you've got, you know, Pat Cummins going for almost $4 million. You've got Mitchell Stark going for over $4 million. Then Josh Hazelwood pops up and I'm thinking, wonder what Hazelwood's going to go for because he's proven himself to be Mm. one of the best 
white ball bowlers in the world. So I'm thinking, I don't think, I thought he wasn't going to go for maybe as much as Cummins or Stark, but I thought he might nudge 2 million Aussie dollars passed in when unsold. And I've since read that that is because yep. he, he only made himself available half for half May. the IPL. Yeah, yeah. I wonder absolutely. why that is. Do you know why he's only playing half? Is it, is it he's expecting a child? Okay, yeah, that's maybe. So, I, know uh, yeah, so married, I think it's, so. it's around that time as well. So, uh, so that would be why they wouldn't pick him up because IPLs want, clubs want players for the whole time. Yeah, which is interesting. That, that means if he's there and he's not playing the IPL, does he get picked for the Australian T20 squad that goes to the West Indies? Has you know? to, has to. So a long way away, but yeah, one has for a discussion. We made a big mistake in 2019, not taking him to the 50 over World Cup, and he's proven himself to be a match winner. I tell you, who's, who constantly gets picked and is loved by somebody is 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 also um, Jason Berendorf. I mean, he was retained, so he's one that I don't know if he's on the radar um, for that T20 World Cup either. Yeah, so big results for the Australians in the auction. Now staying in India, Gab, there was some more news during the test match that maybe India are going to start a second IPL-style competition in September, October, and it'll be a T10 competition. But specifically it was described as a Tier 2 competition, which means I think that the BCCI aren't expecting that to be another international window in that, you know, maybe India will still be playing bilateral cricket, but they'll have this T10 competition going with, you know, all the players that Mm -hmm. aren't part of the Indian squad. How did you read that news about this second competition and what have you heard? Look, a wise man, the great Dean Jones always said, you know, this was even in conversation five years ago, he said, watch Gav, in about five, max 10 years, T10 cricket, it will take off. Uh, just the way that we are, you know, in terms of how long the games are going, um, you know, our attention span as well, the new new generation coming about, T10 will will be the next marketable product of cricket. Um, because even now we see broadcasters, they've got numbers and they say, you know, in the first six overs, the numbers are sort of pretty spiked and then they dip a lot. And then you, you sort of get to the last three overs or the, the end. And even sometimes the IPL matches are going for four hours, which aren't that many people, are, they want eyeballs and they're not quite getting it. Mm. While, you know, once you get to, to T10, you start to, you know, compete, especially around the world with soccer or... It's like uh, an hour and a half It's game. an hour and a half. So uh, what I see is it's a bit of a trial, uh, but, and I think it's connected to the franchises as well, where, you know, we are going, and we've spoken this on, on about the podcast, on the podcast, that it's going to be about players being hired by and having contracts with uh, franchises rather than uh, national your, contracts. your national contracts. So I think this is just a step in that direction. Uh, September, good time as well. It reminds me back of like the Champions League, which was around as well. And they tried to create a different window. It was only South Africa, Australia um, and New Zealand, I think, back, and of course, India back then. So they're probably trying to create to see if there's a market value there. I don't know how much of it's been pushed by the franchises, but certainly one to look out for. Um, There could be a fair amount of interest. And I think we could see a little bit of that when IPLs started out. You know, the likes of maybe... It, it it could be those retirees or players who are in the back. A Steve Smith might go yeah. over there. You know, a perfect. He's not quite in the IPL, but he's a star figure. People are going to want to go watch him. He might go play there. So I think that's it. Might be like you said, tier two, but there's still there's. <laughs> 
plenty of T2 players um, who people want to go and see. Uh, and their broadcasters might sort of build that into a package. So I think it, there's a future there, and I think it's a bit of a trial. I don't think it's, it's a trial and error. I think they're just trialling it. Do you think it, it'll disrupt international cricket? Like, do you think I'm right that the BCCI won't look to put the Indian team on pause for two months? Because if they, you know, if they pause two months there, you know, two and a half months for the IPL, that means the Indian team's not playing for almost six months of the year. Well, and what is happening in September? September's, you know, you it's coming to the start of the Indian cricket season, which is around October. You've got monsoon pretty much everywhere else in India, so domestic cricket doesn't really kick off. So where are they going to play it? Um, but it's a good little window. That's why they had the Champions League around that time yeah. as well. <clears throat> Plus, you know, you've gone into a transition between the Australian seasons and the English seasons. That's a good little window. It's not good for Australia, though, because you think about – you know, a lot of Australian domestic players who would oh, yes. who would want to play in this T10 competition, yep. all of a sudden they'll be taken out of the Shield, the Marsh Cup, they'll be taken out of the state yep, system. Do you look at a player like Chris Green? Chris Green, Daniel Sams, yep. these sort of players that will all of a sudden get offered more money than their state contract. So Absolutely. are going to see a situation where maybe, you know, uh, the beginning of the Australian domestic summer, there's a lot of players playing T10 cricket in India. Yeah, absolutely. So it is a threat, but let's see how it goes. I think it would get bigger. I, mm. I genuinely think that. I think T20 cricket, I'm not saying is on a decline or anything, but I think T10 cricket is on an incline somewhere. Mm. And that, I guess there's so many challenges around this. So, for example, are the state systems in Australia now becoming development systems for the IPL and new leagues coming up because, you know, you're going to see, as you discussed, maybe franchises offering contracts. So, you know, how does New South Wales cricket deal with a situation where, say, they invest in a player and say pick a name, Ollie Davies. Yep. They've invested in him, brought him through the system. He's now doing really well. What if in a, in a few months an IPL franchise takes a punt on him and says, mm. we're, going to, we're going to offer you a contract for X hundred thousand dollars a year? Are you interested? He goes, yes. And all of a sudden he's he's out of the state system and New South Wales cricket feel like, oh, we've invested all this money and we're just waving him goodbye. Well, and the other option is, and I always look at it, is is it worthwhile having year, um, you know, 12-month contracts? I've always said I like what New Zealand have. They have a seventh-month domestic contract. After that, the players are open to play every anywhere they want. And it's up to the players uh, because – you know, Devin Conway is a good example. You know, he, he goes and practices his art. There are some other players who want to do nothing mm. for those five months, and that's perfectly fine. They just want to, you know, hit a few balls. Some want to go play in England. Some want to go play in a T10 league. I think it should, the owners should fall on the players, and I think we'll get to that. I think, and sometimes I feel like the Ollie Davis, because he's on a yearly contract, or even a Jason Sanger, because he's on a yearly contract, they're almost, well, you know, from pretty much May, June, July, they're going into these sort of training regimes, but they should they're not be playing somewhere. They should be playing somewhere. Uh, I mean, you look at, you know, like Zamanas, who went to England four years in a row and just played club cricket and learned. There's so many of these stories. I think because they're getting paid, it's a 12 month contract. If I was getting a 12 month contract. So you're saying cricket New South Wales could to get around this, just say to players, we're just going to contract you for a bit of the domestic season. Uh, yep. You go and play where you want when you're not with us. Yes. And. Maybe we'll just contract you for, you know, six Shield oh, games. I, I, yeah, I, I think, you know, we sort of... Save the money uh, that way. Yeah, save the money. I think we look after them too much. 
You know, let, let mm. Ollie Davis and the Jason Sanger be proactive of what they want to do yeah. or let them do what they feel like doing rather yeah. than saying you can't do it or because you're steadily contract, you're getting the money, you're doing all these preseason training. Yeah, I, I think that's going to change. And I, I reckon New Zealand have a really good model. And you just look at some of the players New Zealand have produced in the recent times. You've got to take your, you know, cap off to them. Indeed. Listen, there's a few bit of background noise. They've decided to start ripping out the, the <laughs> room next to the studio. But anyway, we'll plug on because we've got to get this done. And just staying on India, interesting, on the day of the IPL auction, Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood's manager, Neil Maxwell, was inter- interviewed on RSN, the radio station in Melbourne. And Neil Maxwell had a real mm. whinge about how that the cricket schedule is a bit of a dog's breakfast. And he, he brought all up the old tropes about uh, too much cricket for the players. Uh, our Australia star well, players aren't available for the big bash. Um, he talked about cr- cricket cannibalising itself. He talked about all the power and the money coming out of India. All I will say to Neil Maxwell is if he's so upset about it, is that mean when he's due his whatever he's due from Pat Cummins $3.66 million, um, so you say he's due 10% of that or 5% yep. of that, is he going to say no, Pat on principle, I don't want this, you know, $366,000 because I'm I'm so upset or is he going to take the money? Because it seems a bit hypocritical when your players are over there making a fortune and you're complaining about all the money coming out of India. Like you can't have it both ways. No, you, you can't have it both ways. I agree. I think more, I think Neil was probably the fact that the Big Bash needs to be a stronger competitions to lure international. I mean, he's right about the crowded international schedule. It's, yeah. it's a bit of a dog's breakfast, but cricket's in a transition. Yep. And you, you even if you're annoyed by the changes, you have to say more and more opportunities and money is coming into the game. Whether it's in the way you want it or not, well, sometimes you just can't be that fussy. Yeah. Like India... In, well, you can, you can, I, India develops cricket. Well, thank God, like India has a lot of money. Otherwise, they could have been in South, uh, South, you know, a bit like Live Golf. They could have been a South, uh, Saudi Arabian mm. league, which takes over some players, which would pay them. Maybe Mitch Stark gets twenty million dollars yep. to play, and he, if it's twenty million dollars, then Mitch Stark might say, "Well, goodbye, Australia," or even an Ollie Davis might be saying, "You're playing over here for the Saudi Arabian League, and we're giving you forty million dollars." Yep. You know, you've heard about the numbers in Live Golf. Absolutely, and people. Well, Cam play, Smith got hundred million. Just yeah, to like some four hundred million. Ram got one hundred eighty million. Exactly. Recently. So they're ridiculous figures. So, in a way, at least. Uh, uh, India, which is a powerful nation, have genuine interest for cricket as a sport rather than you know, some other country sort of taken over just playing the players where they probably don't know how which way that cricket is heading. So it's not a bad way that actually India actually cares about cricket to an extent and um, is creating competitions within themselves. And, and also I do take umbrage with complaining about how the lower nations are developing towards test cricket. Because actually I think the professionalism that T20 cricket brings to the developing nations actually just helps their cricket in general. We've seen that with, um, you know, look at Afghanistan. 
Mm. You know, a lot of their players started off as T20 guns and are now yep. developed into great 50-over yep. cricketers and great test cricketers. And that's because when they go to these leagues around the world, they're playing with all these great players, they're training, yep. they're getting opportunities. And although it's through T20 cricket, it is actually a pathway to make you a better cricketer. And test cricket is going towards a more faster-paced style, less defensive cricket. So although I admit there are challenges in international cricket, don't get me wrong, but I think actually developing nations playing T20 cricket does boost their whole cricket development. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, you just you look at where, you know, like the Rashid Khan was to now, like, you know, but he knows how teams operate, you know. So 100%, you, you've seen some really good players come, you know, Afghanistan is a, is, is a great example. Um so, yeah, like, look, I, I completely agree with you. I think, you know, those leagues are just going to continue growing. Um, how do you stop it? Right now there's no solution. <laughs> there's no solution. No. Money talks, baby. Money talks. All right, we're going to take our first break in this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. Then we'll be back to talk about some local news. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menas. I'm with Gav Joshi. Now we'll turn our attention to what's happening locally, Gav. And Lance Morris was released from the test squad. I think that's a good thing, getting back to playing cricket for the Perth Scorchers. It's very clear that unless there's an injury, Stark, Hazelwood and Cummins are going to play every test they can. So why carry Lance Morris around when the big bash could do with, you know, seeing someone bowl 150K rockets? Yeah, absolutely. And depends on net practice as well. If you want someone like Lance Morris, if Australia is probably playing a, a you know, different kind of team who had, you know, Pakistan, if they had 350 bowlers who are bowling at 150 clicks an hour, then maybe it was worthwhile having Lance Morris go to Melbourne and, and, and bowl a few rockets down there. Uh, but Pakistan don't. Um, that, so that could be one of the reasons there's probably good at net bowlers. The batters are probably feeling that they don't need much of a hit. And as you've alluded to, other people have They're alluded to. facing him well, too yeah, quick. Well, <laughs> and then the fact that, you know, Andrew McDonald's and Pat Cummins, their regime seems to be about give everyone a bit of a break. Don't force training sessions unless you want to train. Mm. So there's been – the. The amount of increase there's been in terms of optional training sessions from the JL era to, you know, is probably tripled. Um, and, yeah, it, 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 it is those players. The, the, the Manus and Smiths are always going to be there. Uh, but but there are others who don't want to be there. And the fast bowlers are good examples. There's, there's cricketers who don't like to hit as many balls. You know, Travis Head's a bit of one and he feels like good 34. Yeah, balls. I heard him saying he doesn't often do the optional training the day before a game. Yep. He'll always get Smith and Manus there hitting a few. But, yeah, I think release Lance Morris. Let's see him in the big bash. Um, sticking on fast bowlers, Mitchell Johnson. <laughs> 
the controversy continues. News has emerged that Cricket Australia cancelled him from two speaking gigs during the Perth test due to his comments in his column. Cricket Australia thought it would be a bad look if they employed him to speak um, on at a function after he really got stuck into Bailey and, and David Warner. And, and I kind of agree where Cricket Australia is coming from. Okay. I'm not against... I don't like sanctioning people. I think free speech is important. I am in, you know, media. I've got a podcast. So, you know, I, I'm certainly a, a proponent of free speech. But I can see where Cricket Australia is thinking, well, should we really be employing this guy when he's, um, you know, really gone in hard against Warner and Bailey, two employees of ours? Like, it actually yeah. shows some loyalty from Cricket Australia. Yeah, is it going to have an impact on the team? And if it's impacting the national team, which has to go and perform on a day-to-day basis, and he's a spokesman. He's allowed to go out and, like you said, you know, the Freedom Speech Guard on his podcast, um, go out. But if if there's an affiliation there with Cricket Australia, um, you can understand because if he goes to an... One of these, you know, talks that he's supposed to motivational talks or whatever. Or well, cricket Australia lunch. You know, yeah, David yeah. Warner walks past and sees well, oh, Mitchell Johnson's da- being paid to speak. Well, it's not about even David Warner. If what about if you know, just a, there's a, somebody at the lunch and you say, ask him a question or he says something controversial. You just want to tone that You're down. Right. You're right. Yeah. Absolutely. So I don't uh, disagree with that. I've got to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. There's been a bit of a discussion in the the wake of the Perth test that the test pitch wasn't up to standard, that it was too dangerous, balls were jumping off a length. The, what, what do you think? Was it up to standard? I think it was fine. I, I, I actually thought the test match might have even ended a lot earlier if we, you know, Pakistan bowled a little bit better. They probably had their best lineup. probably took their catches. I always feel like, look... But don't you think those cracks where you got balls like jumping off a length pose a threat? I mean, yeah. if you're Mitch Marsh almost getting sconed on the head Yeah, it, it was. It was slightly towards, and, you know, there's people in the subcontinent suddenly jump on Twitter and say, yeah. see what happens. Like when the ball turns three feet on first over Matt Kuhneman's <laughs> over yeah. in, in indoor, you, you deem that to be unfair, but when a ball this. is hitting off a length. So there, there's two parts of this. I, I think the pitch was okay. I, I mean, yes, it finished very rapidly. We've had bright sunshine as well. And the curators, you know, it's been, it's the fifth year. Uh, probably given the way it sort of fizzled out last year against the West Indies, he probably was trying something. Probably didn't get it 100% right. Like the cracks probably yeah. opened up a little too much. Maybe it was a day overcooked. Uh, yep. But it yep. wasn't far off. And, no, it wasn't. And, and we both grew up in an era where playing in the in the West, West yeah. there were always cracks in Absolutely. the pitch. You know, and you, it's the and, nature of the pitch, yeah. I mean, I remember the Australian Kirtley. team in the mid-90s facing Kirtley Ambrose on, exactly. on a pitch like that. So I think probably slightly overcooked, but that's about it. Yeah, I don't think it deserves any controversy or a it wasn't a good rush. wicket, but it wasn't a terrible wicket. No, no, no. I think is I don't even think it was an average wicket. I'd still think it was okay. I, I mean, look, uh, the heat players, you can't dictate the weather. It was nice and warm. Um, and, well, I mean, you could argue that Australia shouldn't have even got to that stage. Mm. Could have declared a lot earlier. Yeah, indeed. Also in the wake of the Perth test, it's been Nathan Lyon Appreciation Week. He's... Mm. He's done a media tour. Like it's great to have him on Cricket Unfiltered recently, but he's also been on every other yep. cricket media in in Australia, and he deserves it because he you know he spent a lot of time in the shadows and in the last sort of 
I think in the last sort of since the 2017 tour of India, was it 2017? Yep. Where he I re- he showed he could bowl in the subcontinent. Yep. I think that's sort of the turning point for me. Like he's a great bowler the whole time, but I yeah, feel that I, that tour sort of showed what a skillful bowler he is in all conditions. He was. And, you know, sometimes it's all about preparations and, you know, we've had a chat to him off air so many times when we've done our commentary gigs and, uh, you know, it's all repetitions and, I think he's a he's actually a cricket nuffy. But going back to that 2017 tour, before that tour, then when they had that camp in Dubai, you know Nathan Lyon probably said he reckons he bowled about 10,000 balls on that, you know, and that's where he got that confidence to be able to do it in India, and that's a big. But I, I just admire like sometimes it's rather than Nathan Lyon, you know, the the fact that Darren Berry, uh, you know, saw him, um, you know, I think Tim Nielsen was there as well. Jamie Cox, I think Jamie Cox, yeah, Jamie Cox, and, and and they just thought, well, this guy's the best bowler we've seen since Tim May. Sometimes you just need that, and then they got him in, and he was playing a big bash match in two weeks. I mean, that changes fortune. So sometimes you have to give, of course, Nathan Lyon a lot of credit mm. because at the end he needs to execute. But it's also the fact that somebody trusted in him, that system worked, and and it was able to do what he could do because he could. If, if nobody sees him, Darren Berry and Tim Nielsen and South Australian stuff don't actually see him doing any of that stuff, then who knows? He just disappears. I heard Darren Berry speaking about this during the week and he said that the first time he, um, he was told at the Adelaide Oval, oh, that guy, the groundsman over there, he's a, he's a good off spinner. And Berry went over to Nathan yep. Lyon and said, hey, do you want to come and bowl in the nets? And Nathan was like, oh, I can't. I've actually got to roll the pitch. Yeah. And Darren was like, no, no. Don't worry about it. Like I'm, yep. I'm the coach of the team. I'm asking you to come a bowl. Like yeah. this takes precedent over your uh, groundskeeping uh, duties. But it does speak to, and, and you know, we've both been lucky enough to commentate with, uh, commentate on Nathan mm-hmm. for Shield Games. I've worked with him on his podcast and and yep. stuff. So, um, but but one thing that's evident about him is it's it's actually that old fashioned hard work. He yeah. works so hard on his craft. Yes. He's worked hard since he's been put into the Australian side. He's developed his bowling. And even to the point whenever there's an opportunity, he goes back and he plays shield cricket. Yeah. He bowls lots of overs. Um, there's no accident in his success. It's, no. It's hard yakka with and a lot what, of talent. What I've liked is, you know, he, he doesn't experiment too much. He, he he he's credited you know Ravi Ashwin as one of the great teachers that he's had by just watching him. But he hasn't gone in that mold of creating douchers. He hasn't gone in that mold of. He's just played within himself and what his limitations are. He's understood them. You know, I remember talking to Michael Clark and ages ago, and Clark has said, "Well, I can't believe there's no cover in place. Uh, you know, there's just." Put a point in, put a um, you know a mid off in, and make a batter drive through the covers constantly. Your figures might be five for hundred and fifty, right? But you would have bowled the opposition out for two seventy. But Nathan Lyon, you know, is different to that. He you know he prefers to bowl. If you look at his wicket, you haven't seen Nathan Lyon actually get what they call the classical mode of dismissal, which is to get get the ball through a bat and pad. He hasn't got too many of the wickets. But There's a lot credit, of topspin. A lot of topspin, but that's because he understands his game and he doesn't have to, and never wanted to change it. He's modified it. He, he's tweaked it, but he's still kept at it. And that's his own faith. And I think that's come from hard work. He's probably gone away and, you know, we speak to Nathan off air and he's like something, and I'm a bit different to that. So I, it's never going to work for me. 
So that understanding has allowed him to go and been so mentally strong to but get those 500 then, wickets. But also then he's now got the ability to, when he goes to the subcontinent, make the adjustments. So when he bowls in India, yep. there's a bit more side spin. Yep. There's a bit less top spin. Yep. You know, he bowls slightly differently. Play with his wrist a little. Exactly. Yep. So he's just the, the all-round package. So 500 test wickets. How many, how, how many years? Well, he's saying he wants to play another four years. He wants to go to the Ashes again. So I'm, I'll ask you a question. Do you think he'll break Shane Warne's record? What Shane Warne? Two, 708 wickets. 708. So he needs another 200 or so. I don't know if he'll get there. Uh, calf strains, you know more because you've done that podcast with him, but calf strains, if you get them once, you're more susceptible. Look at Stephen O'Keefe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Look, it just depends on the, on the team as well sometimes, uh, Menes, because, you know, a lot of his mates have been in the team. They've, he's played with them. If you look at this, you know, Australian team, we've talked about it, their age bracket, all of them are, you know, sort of born within five years of So do you think other. he could sort of lose a bit of the enjoyment when they all yeah, start to I retire? Yeah, I think so. he, he could potentially, you know. You've, you've it's also the number of tests they'll play between now and then. You know, they've got to yep. be playing. You expect if he's going to challenge Warney's record in four or five years, they need to be playing 10, 12 tests yeah. a year. And if he plays 10 tests a year for the next four years, he'll definitely beat it because it, we'll Nathan Lyons will get four or five wickets a test match. Yeah. It's amazing. What a story for the GOAT. All right, just sticking with the... Perth test. We haven't done this in a while, but it's a bit of a, a commentary critique because um, I was sort of looking at a bit of the coverage during the test and I caught bits and pieces. I'll give you my rundown. Mm -hmm. I caught a bit of the ABC radio coverage. Okay. Good. Uh, Jim Maxwell was good. Tom Moody was good. Our mate Phil Jakes was there from the New South Wales commentary box. Um, I think ABC sets a good standard of radio commentary. Yep. Uh, they've been up and down, I feel, over the last few years, but I felt coverage of this test was particularly good. And I actually do like Tom Moody's analysis. Okay. What do you think of Moody? I didn't listen too much of the ABC. I like it when, you know, Jim Maxwell's on. I. You know, he's the, the, the godfather. Oh, the, the godfather. Fifty years, I think, with the ABC. So I like it when he's on. Um, I've grown with Channel Seven. Um, yep. yep. I, I've loved. I like someone like a Greg Blewett who interesting. You know, he's just sort of reserved in his own way. I, but you sort of need a player like him. I'll, yes, Ricky Ponting. Ricky Ponting's their biggest asset at seven. He because is, everyone he, talks about him being probably the best analyst in Australian yeah. broadcasting. I, I like Tim Lane, the call. Yeah, he's I don't very good. Think, yeah, I don't think Tim Lane probably gets as high recognition as someone like a Jim Maxwell. I think Tim Lane is as good. He's mm, very um, good. Uh, I like Ali Mitchell. I think she, she does a, it's a, a good job as well. I, um, I, I think she's fantastic. Yep. Huge fan of Ali Mitchell. So I, I think so. I think Channel Not 7. I discovered her, but I did get her on this podcast very early on. And she's gone on to bigger and better bigger, things. So Channel 7, I think I've, I've started to, you know, like them. Um, Wacker is okay, but, you know. I'm not sure about that, but I think Ricky. Ricky <laughs> That's very diplomatic. Yeah, I think Ricky just sort of takes yeah, he's, them. He's, everyone says that they actually tune in to hear Ricky Ponting. Hear Ricky, and, and I like it because I think he speaks more than anybody else on there. I think if you look at the commentary stints, I think Ricky is like a phenomenal package out They're there. They're probably telling him that we're paying you the most. Yeah, like, make I mean, sure let's we just say get no, back I mean, for your buck. Yeah, I don't know if JL is someone you want to listen to, but um, <laughs> JL and Hados get a lot of crap online for their commentary. Yeah. I, I mean, we had Dan Leap here on a, a couple of episodes ago and he was very um, upset with Hayden's commentary. 
Well, this is where, so I've said this before on the podcast. I watch most of my cricket with the sound down, so I'm not listening to a lot of the commentary, but I do watch it all basically on Fox. I did catch a bit of seven, the last test, but the, the Fox commentary actually, I really enjoy what they've done this summer because it's sort of a bit of an all-star team. They've got, you know, Akram, Shastri, Vaughan, Guha. Then they've got the Australians, Gilly, um, Mark Howard, you know, a um, lot of variety there. Yeah, a lot of variety. Yep. Um, I, I yes, that 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 is there. Uh, junior, I you know, I sometimes, of course. Um, I I understand Harsha Bogley will be doing uh, maybe a test match or two this summer really? as well. Yep. I think Ravi's gone, and they might get Harsha. It feels um, like a bit of an all-star commentary box, the Fox one. Like they've they've gone around the world, picked all these great stars because, you know, Shastri is a huge star. Yeah. Akram's a huge star. Uh, Vaughn's a huge star. And, you know, they've been posting on social media, their walks in the morning. You know, I sort of think of like you look at Fox and Seven, Seven sort of your, your sort of normal cricket coverage where Fox is really sort of trying to put together yes. an all-star cricket lineup. Yeah, and, and uh, the other person on Channel 7 I think is fabulous is Trent Copeland. I think he's going and giving mm. lovely insights. I think, you know, Mike Hussey has been that responsibility, but it, it might be just a way that Copes, you know, knows the players as well, just the way he presents the information I think is a little bit better than Mike Hussey even. Um, so I think I've loved that about Channel 7. Um, yeah, and, Mr. Cricket's analysis indeed. Yeah, so I, I think, and yeah, I don't know, Fox, it's – Sometimes it's it's very early on in the summer, Menas. Let's see what happens during when, you know, Sydney Test is rolling around, how much content and if they talk anything different. That's where I think Ricky Ponting stands out because every Test match he rarely repeats what he says. Well, I think some of the Fox guys go on a bit of a, you know, even likes of from Isha Gua to Mark Howard, it's the same thing sort of said again and again. Mm. My favourite is still Kerry O'Keefe, uh, but I think the others... Yeah, of they course, Kerry O'Keefe's great. I think the others in Fox, we probably didn't notice in the first test match because first test match of the summer, but as the summer evolves, I think they go a little bit around circles. And the other thing about Fox is they really focus on their guys. So David Warner and Usman Khawaja are contracted to Fox Cricket. They'll be broadcasting with them. Yes. Uh, not even now, but also when they're retired. So they get a lot of positive um, commentary and a lot of positive my, coverage. My question to you is, do you like so many broadcasters? I mean, uh, there's radio, so, you know, there's SEN, there's Triple M, there's ABC, you've got Fox and you've got Channel 7. So Is that too many? I, I, I don't mind the choice. So more coverage of the game means more jobs, means more variety. More money the, for CA. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, the radio, they're all different. ABC is your classic style. SEN's a little bit uh, different. And then you've got Triple M where it's supposed to be sort of matey and fun. But where I think it is a problem for me is the Big Bash. I think what the Big Bash is missing is that one commentary team that we used to have when it was with 10. 10, And yes. it was, you know, it was, and, and it was almost each night you were as much tuning in to hear what the commentators would say, whereas now the audience is split. If I'm mm. watching the Big Bash tonight, maybe I'm watching on Fox, you're watching on 7, I send you a message, oh, did you hear what Gilly said? And you're like, no, nah, mate, I'm watching 7. Yeah. So that's well, where I think it's missing more. But I think that's big, uh, also it deprives you of getting the best commentators. Like, you know, like you may rightfully mentioned, I would love to have a Ricky Ponting and a Kerry O'Keefe together. together yeah. I would love to have, you know, in terms of radio, you you might want to have someone like a, 
you know, a, a Jim Maxwell with a Mike Hussey. I, I'm not sure. I'm just, yeah, Because in the past, we would just have two broadcasters. I think we had the top people up there. I think there's too many, too much broadcasters. I think we get too much, um, you know, too many thoughts out there. And some of them, you know, those thoughts have been heard again and again and again and again. I don't think some people on Fox and to an extent Channel 7 or maybe even SEN bring that same thing. I think it's the same stories again. Mm. Um, I, I, yeah, it's, it doesn't intrigue me as much. I'm not like, oh, I want to listen in. It doesn't happen much. Interesting. Yeah, I don't mind the variety and I like sort of watching the different coverage and I think Seven and Fox are doing a pretty good job. I think, as I said, I think the Big Bash is where my issue is because I don't think the seven commentators on the Big Bash are, are that great. Um, no offence to Jason Richardson. Um, all right, and just sticking with the coverage um, and um, with the um, radio coverage, just last one on SEN, um, Jared Waitley was due to call it and got COVID, I think, the day before. Oh, okay. So Adam White was flown over to call it and ended up calling Nathan Lyon's 500th wicket. So that's a great story. Adam White's a lovely guy. I'm surprised Adam Collins didn't call me, but maybe after our incident at the World T20 final, <laughs> he's lost my number. All right, that is it for our local news. We're going to take our final break and then we'll be back with some the Big Bash update and Can't Let It Go. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. It's Menas here with Gav and we've smashed through a lot of the cricket news. Now we turn our attention to the Big Bash and it's resumed after a big break. And look, there's not a lot to say because they've been off for the last week, but the Strikers beat the Thunder at the Adelaide Oval last night. So the Strikers get their first victory of the season. Friend of the show, James Baisley, was playing for the Strikers. Um, Didn't have much of a role to play in last night's game, but the Thunder made seven for 200 and they looked to be a pretty good total, but then... The strikers um, ran it down. They finished four for 205 with two balls remaining, six wickets in hand. Matt Short was the star, 82 off 41 deliveries. Uh, Brisbane Heater on top of the ladder with five points, two wins, and a rain out. Uh, the Sydney Sixers are second on the ladder, and the strikers get their first win. They go to three points. Matt Short's becoming a pretty seriously good white ball player, and you see that innings in the big bash. He's got a lot of experience in the last calendar year, mm-hmm. IPL, yep, tournaments all around the, the world, yep. and I think now we're seeing that experience pay off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we've seen those guys rise. Alex Ross did well, our, our good mate as well. Yeah, we commentate uh, with Alex on yep. the, the Shield. So, so yeah, I'm... I'm actually looking forward to maybe, you know, this is the first test that we're intrigued by at Boxing Day. I think once we come to Sydney, I think my attention will actually shift a lot to Big Bash. Mm. I think I'm going to be, you know, coming into January, I think there will be a lot of eyeballs on the Big Bash, which is great. I think, you know, having the sh- it truncated, I think the fact that, you know, that we're going to have big uh, the, the Sydney test match and the Melbourne test match almost done, I think, we're going to be excited about the Big mm. Bash. So I just don't think they can do what they did this year where they start the Big Bash and then they pause it for five days with yeah. the Perth test because well, they had to do it this year because, because the Perth test. When mm. also like last year the Perth test was the West Indies. So maybe this year they thought, oh, we'll give mm. um, them a, a test, you know, in late January against the West Indies. But I'm sure Christina Matthews would said, 
we are not playing the West Indies twice here. Yeah, yeah. Two years in a row. So, look, it was unavoidable. And there was some speculation that they should have maybe scheduled a Big Bash game for the fifth day mm. because then the way the Perth test timing is, it would have had to go sort of into the last session to yeah. affect a Big Bash game. Um, so, But it is a bit of a punt because what if you get a thrilling test match? Yes. And it goes into the last session and yeah. then you've got Big or Bash then, competing with that. So, yeah, or could it could be rain in Perth, although exactly. I don't think it ever rains in Perth. And then it goes into the last session. So I understand the complexities, but I don't think it's ideal pausing it for five days. Anyway, you're right, it's continuing nightly now and there'll be no breaks. Now, turning our attention to women's cricket, this mm. Thursday, more test cricket. <laughs> Australia is playing India in a test match. I think it's the first time in 30 years or yes, 20 quite, years or something. It, they might have played one in the late 2000s, I think. Yeah, like a long time since they played yep. a test match in India. It's a four-day test match. Starts Thursday. Australia played a practice game. I guess the big news is Elisa Healy's finger was fine. fine. Yep. She was able to bat and wicket keep, so there's no doubt she'll be able to get through the test match. It's a multi-format series against India, so uh, they play the test and then three T20s, three yep. 50-over games, and it's four points for the test match and then two points each for the limited overs games. And one thing that... Um, Elise Perry and Elisa Healy said when I was doing the coverage of the WBBL was that they felt that they focused too much on the test match during the Ashes and not enough on the white ball stuff. That, okay. Oh, we've got to prepare for this test match. They only come around very yeah, rarely and they prepare all this, um, you know, prepare for yeah. it. And they almost over-prepared for it and mm. it affected their white ball game. So I think this test match... Australia will play it a bit more like a, a limited overs game. Not that they'll just, I think and they'll just play cricket. Yeah, don't forget. I mean, we, we talked about when they played last, of course, with that test match up in, uh, was it Gold Coast? Mm. Yeah. Oh, where, yeah. Yeah, but where the balls, you know, there's wet conditions, the ball hooped around that famous ball, I think it was Chulam Goswami bowled to Lisa Healy, which you know, swung in. It probably looked like it was going to be a wide and yeah. hit it off pole. So um, India coming off some really good form. They they absolutely smashed England in that test match. They did. So uh, England, they just played in a test match and they beat them by 347 runs. Um, India made 428. India uh, England 136 in reply. What? India 186 for six declared. England 131 all out. So they got absolutely smashed, lost by almost 350 runs. Deep T Sharma took five for seven, seven and four for 32. So India in good form. I think we'll what? see a turner. Yeah. I, well, I mean, uh, some of the Australian players are reading up and saying that Australia could even play up to four spinners. Um, what I actually like watching and we probably haven't been used to it is in that India-England match, there's a lot, couple of catches going to short leg fielders and they've taken – and we don't probably see that that much. Well, we don't see it we're, in women's cricket, do we? Yeah, because we all only see the white ball formats. And they had not a lot of tests in India. Yeah, exactly. And so, I, I liked actually the approach of both teams. They were quite aggressive. Yes. And one thing we've seen in Ashes test matches in women's cricket that sometimes the teams have a tendency to go into their shell because mm. they're not playing a lot of test cricket. But I think judging from the Australian – discussions that I think they're going to be a bit more positive and so it should be a good game. Yeah, and I think the pitches in Mumbai suit that. I think red soil, which means there's a bit of bounce as well. You get the edges they're going to carry. It's good for stroke making. Um, it's going to be at one Kedis Stadium. I think it'll be a really good crowd as well. Um, and I think that was probably one of the aspects during the World Cup. They felt that the biggest crowds always felt for a non-India game at those cricket-centric 
venues. What I mean by that is, you know, the 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 Mumbai's, the the, the um, Chennai's, the the Bangalore's, um, rather than the Ahmedabad's and Lucknow, which are not that cricket centric. You yeah. can say. So I think Mumbai will get a brilliant crowd. I, I think it's. I mean, yes, we're building up to that second Test match, Boxing Day. I think. A lot of people should keep their eyes on this this game. I think it's going to be thrilling. No, I can't wait. And it's perfect time for Australia. It starts in the afternoon. Yeah. Our time. So starts on Thursday afternoon. Thursday afternoon. It's and on uh, Fox. Yeah, yeah, it is on Fox. And it's also Alicia Healy's debut as permanent Australian okay. skipper. So, yeah, really exciting stuff. So that is it for all the cricket headlines. It's just can't let it go now. Wrap it up with that. Little bit of cricket news you just can't let go through to the keeper. Gav, as you're the guest in the studio, well, what's your can't let it go? I thought I already said it about how good this studio was. <laughs> but, um, do you have a cricket one? Yeah, I do. Let's go back to the wacker. Back to the wacker yes, for test cricket? Yes, I don't care who's playing. I don't – yes, I know right now they're going through a bit of ref- – The post-renovation go post back Post-renovation has to be at the wacker. It's a great stadium. Leave the big bash there. I'm not arguing because they get a crowd of 40,000. It's not about the crowd, but let's not lose the wacker. It is great. It's one of the best cricket grounds you can go at. I've been to probably 50 test grounds around the world. I love the Wacker. I, I, it just needs to be at the Wacker. Bring it back. No more up to stadium for a test match. I agree. I don't like cricket being played <laughs> in football grounds. And I think after the renovation, if the Wackers, I think the only issue is the Wackers only going to have a around a capacity of 10,000 with the renovation. Okay. Um, but I agree. For some of the test matches, certainly play them at the Wacker. I don't think the crowds for the Perth Test were that bad. They got almost 60,000 in four days. Mm. People are saying, oh, that's terrible crowds. But I yeah. don't think it is. A, you know, Australia playing Pakistan in December, I think that's a pretty positive number and I don't think it should be all doom and gloom about cricket. No, I agree. Yeah, I, but, yep, go back to the wacker. What about yours? My, um, my can't let it go is a stat from Nick Savage, who's a writer for Fox Cricket. He wrote out that he tweeted out that Usman Khawaja has faced more balls this year in Test cricket than the whole South African team. Now that's a, a, a result of two <laughs> things. I think the South African team's only played a few Tests this calendar year, yep. and Usman Khawaja has batted terrifically <laughs> well. Um, but it, it just shows how well Khawaja's occupied the crease this year in in all conditions, yeah. starting in India, continuing on to England, you know, finishing at the, the Optus Stadium here. Just a, a player for all conditions, which is so incredible when. The big knock on his career, on his batting early on, was that he didn't travel so well. Yeah, I mean, the big thing about uh, the other important aspect of that stat is the the difference between the big three, the amount of test cricket they play Mm. compared to a South Africa or New Zealand. I think, you you know, like if you look at the balance, India, South Africa, uh, sorry, India, Australia and England face so much more test cricket over the last, every year. Mm. And Neil Maxwell was talking about that as well, the fact that, the big three are going you know, to dominate like I think Test cricket. The Australia-New Zealand Test Series, over is that three Test matches? I think it's only a two-Test match. I think it's a two-Test match series. But the, the real concern is, for example, South Africa touring New Zealand before that. That's coinciding with the SAT20. And South, South Africa are probably going to that's send right. a, a third 11 yes. because all their players are contracted. contracted so, you know, I, I said Neil Maxwell... Some of his points are valid. Yeah. There there are issues in the calendar, but I think we're in this readjustment period where we're in between eras where the traditional 
um, way we've seen cricket is changing now and we're Absolutely. sort of caught in flux. But, yeah, you're right. That stat about Kawaja does display that South Africa is playing a lot less test cricket. Yep. The balance is quite not there. All right, Gab, well, that's it for this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks so much for joining me. Where can the listeners catch up with you on social media? Uh, I'm always on social media. Not really. And as a, you know, I've stayed away, but you <laughs> get the odd tweet and stuff. But well, the I, at Gampa underscore cricket. cricket. But most of my thoughts, I love expressing them on this podcast and especially in the studio. Oh, good. And you discussed we maybe get together before the end of the year and do a, yep. a, a sort of year in review. Absolutely. Yep. So we'll do that. Um, remember, rate and review the show on Spotify or Apple. Follow the show on whatever app you listen to the, the podcast on. Follow us on socials. We're on Oz Cricket Pod, AUS Cricket Pod on Twitter and Instagram. We're also on TikTok as Cricket Unfiltered. Would love it if you could be a supporter of the show on Patreon. So head to Patreon and search Cricket Unfiltered and you can help support the show there. We're also on YouTube. You can subscribe to the show there. And uh, email us your cricket takes. The email address is in the show notes. Would love to hear your cricket takes. And finally, uh, Menace Masterclass. There's a lot of great interviews on the feed. So if you love a good cricket interview, just put in Menace Masterclass and you'll get a, a swathe of them. Uh, in the winter, I interviewed uh, Kumar Sangakara, Mike Whitney, Phil Jake. So a lot of great interviews there. So if you're looking for some stuff to binge over the Christmas break, I would certainly recommend Menace Masterclass. All right, that's it for Cricket Unfiltered. We'll be back soon. This is a Piccolo Podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network.